All right, so today and next week are going to short mini-series. Today we're going to talk about the source of unmet expectations. The source of unmet expectations. How many have ever had an unmet expectation? I think everybody in this room, yeah. Yeah, Some, how many of you are living through one right now? Let me see your hands. Okay, I won't ask you the source of it. I won't, <laughs> I won't, we won't go there. But we all have these unmet expectations and there's a source and today we're going to talk about that source and then next week we're going to talk about the freedom from unmet expectations well if you follow me on social media you know I spent uh, probably a good part of this week um, in, in Memphis and Tupelo and different Elvis Elvis Presley sites and stuff and some of you are laughing at me and that's okay you'll get over it and so one of the places we went, we went to Tupelo, and I want to share this story with you of, of Elvis's first guitar. I thought this was so funny, and it fit with my sermon. So if you have that picture, you can put that up there. This is where he got his first guitar, in the Tupelo hardware store downtown. His mom had an extra $7, and so she said, hey, I'm going to take you, to, I'm going to take you in town, and we're going to get you something. Well, little Elvis had certain expectations. And so he got in the store and he saw this nice tw shiny 22 rifle. And he asked his mom for the 22. Now keep in mind he's about 10 or 11 years old and he wants a 22 rifle. Now his mom happens to be a little overprotective. Some of you are not overprotective for a 10 year old. And um, she says, no, 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 you don't, you're gonna, you'll hurt yourself. Well, he gets mad, as any 10-year-old would, because he had certain expectations. So he says, well, how about a bike? I want that bike. And his mom says, no, you'll hurt yourself. She probably is a little overprotective, but, you know, we'll let it slide. And so... He begins to bawl out loud, crying, and stomps his foot and throws a fit in the middle of the store. Anybody else, when you have unmet expectations in life, you start to throw a fit and cry and stomp your foot and, God, why isn't this working? And God, this and God. And this wasn't supposed to be that way. And they weren't supposed to respond that way. And it wasn't supposed to be like this. And where are you at? And shaking your fists. And so Elvis is literally throwing a temper tantrum in the store. And so she calms him down by saying, I tell you what, do you see that guitar? How about the guitar? And she talks him into a guitar. And then as they say, the rest is history. He carried the guitar every day to school. He took it to church where his pastor taught him to play the guitar. If you're wanting to take guitar lessons, do not come to me for guitar lessons. And the rest is history. But I think a lot of us are like Elvis standing in the hardware store with his mom maybe as God or, or, or whatever. And we have these expectations that you had better, this is what I want. And God says, no, it's not really what you want. Well, it needs to be like this. God says, no, it doesn't need to be like that. And we build up in our minds 
these expectations of what life is going to be like, or what our, or what our children should be like, or what, or what our job should be like, or what, you name it, it's everywhere. Unmet expectations. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and today is the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Let's read that story for a minute. If you got your Bibles in Matthew chapter 21, we're just going to read Matthew 21, 7 through 11. It'll be on the screen, or if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew 21, 7 through 11. It says this. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Now, I want to point out something here just briefly. Notice it does not say everyone in Jerusalem is doing this. It just says a very large crowd. So let's not read into Scripture any more than what's there. It says a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who, came, who, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowd answers, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, the crowds had certain expectations because in Jewish prophecy, in Jewish belief, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to overthrow the governments of the world and control the entire planet. And he would do it from Jerusalem. They had certain expectations and up to this point, Jesus was meeting every expectation. He was doing everything, though it was different, and sometimes it was a little oddball, and sometimes it seemed like it was out of the park. He's meeting expectations. He's healing people. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's doing everything that the Messiah is supposed to be doing. And so he looks at his disciples and says, hey, guys, go get me the donkey and the colt. I'm going to ride them in, and we're going to go in. To Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. We're, we're going to ride in. So what are these people expecting? What do you think they're expecting? This is it. This is the moment. This is when Jesus overthrows the Roman Empire and makes us, Israel, makes us the world power, and he rules from Jerusalem. This is it. It's happening. Now, what <laughs> happens in this, you and I read it, and we say, well, Jesus rode in on a donkey and a colt because he was supposed to, because Bible, the Bible prophesies it in Zechariah 9.9 and in 1 Kings 1.33 and so on. He's supposed to do this. Yeah, it was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before, but we need to look a little closer at riding a donkey into a city. It's highly significant. And this might even shock you, riding a donkey or a colt into a city is a political statement. Let me explain. Jesus is making a very political statement to the Roman Empire and to the, and to the, to the Jews that are in power. A king or an emperor, when he controls a city 
or when he is in charge and he comes in peace, he rides in a donkey. Nobody just gets to ride a donkey in through the gates of a city. Only a king gets to do that. And when he comes in peace, when a king comes in peace, he rides a donkey. This is a very volatile action by Jesus. This is a very political, volatile action by Jesus. He's coming into the city saying, there's a new king and there's a new kingdom coming. And the new king and the new kingdom is here and there's a new way to do business. Now, what do you think that says to the Roman Empire and the people in power? What do you think that says to the people that fear the Roman Empire? Now I'm thinking twice about whether or not I want to really follow this Jesus. Because the Roman Empire has a history. If you talk against us, we either kill you or ship you off to an island in the middle of the Mediterranean where you can't talk to anybody anymore. That's how John, the disciple, got on the Isle of Patmos for political treason, for supposedly talking about another kingdom. Jesus is making a highly volatile political statement by riding in on a donkey, and he's saying, there's a new kingdom coming. Of course, what did they think? Their expectations were, well, of course there is. It's supposed to be, and it's coming in peace. It's coming in peace. Now, here's another political statement we find in Scripture. In Revelation 19, 11 through 16, it says that when Jesus returns to take control of the planet, in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, it says that he comes back riding on a white horse. That also is a very political statement because in those days, and leading up to those days, a king riding on a horse when he rides into new territory on a horse, that horse symbolizes war. And so when Jesus rides back in Revelation, he's making a political statement. I'm here to do battle. I'm here to war and take over what's mine. One is a peaceful statement by a king. One is a declaring war by a king. And so Jesus marches into Jerusalem and says, I'm here to bring a new kingdom and a new way to be human I'm here to do things a new way with a new kingdom, and I'm here to do it through peace. But the powers that be weren't going to have peace. It's not within human nature since the fall to have peace. Isn't there, a, isn't there an old gospel song that says, we'll study war no more, right? The book of Isaiah tells us that, we'll be, that we will beat our weapons into plowshares one day, that the lion will lay down with the lamb, right? That's the kingdom to come. That's the kingdom that you and I are a part of. And so Jesus rides in on a donkey and he's making this declaration. We have to understand something that Christianity, Christianity is all about salvation, but it's salvation through one king and one kingdom. It's not the kingdom of man. And it's not the kingdoms of the earth. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Jesus coming through. So what do we do? Because these people thought that he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and Israel would, would rule the world and Jesus would rule the world. This was their thinking. What do we do when we have unmet expectations? What, what do we have to do? We have to recenter ourselves in Scripture. When we have 
an expectation that suddenly isn't getting met, we have to go back to Scripture and go, okay, what does the Bible say? What are the promises that God has given me in his word? Are my expect, have my expectations spun out of control? Have I, have I begun to believe something that God really didn't say? Right? It, it, am I thinking about something that's really my interpretation of the events and not God's interpretations of the events or the Bible's interpretation of the events or the situation? What does God's word say? Life will always pull at our interpretation of Scripture. Life will always say, oh, yeah, did you really believe that? Are you really sure about that? The enemy will always come in with doubt. Look at how he approached Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Are you really sure of that? It almost always starts with a question. It almost always starts with, are you sure? And so when we find ourselves with unmet expectation, I'm not supposed to be this way. Life's not supposed to, the work, the job is, okay, what does the Bible say? Because sometimes when I encounter difficult situations, I have to go back to the words of Jesus where he says, it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus said, dark, gloomy times are going to come for those who are in just and right standing with me and those who are not in right standing with me. The difference is one group of people has Jesus and the Holy Spirit at their core at the, as the bedrock of who they are. The other group shifts like a boat without an anchor, and they just go with the times. And one day it's one way, and one day it's the next way, and they can't figure out which end is up and what's wrong with the world, and we're going... Tell you what's wrong with the world. You have no anchor. You have no Jesus, right? And so here's what we have to understand that out of line expectations are a sign of misaligned beliefs. If we in our lives come across something and those expectations aren't getting met and something's not quite right then there's probably something in, inherently in us we're believing something that's a misaligned belief. It's not lining up with Scripture, right? It doesn't line up to Scripture. Let's go through, let, let's take another instance, just a few verses down. The very next account in Matthew chapter 21 is Jesus at the temple. So Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem. He's supposed to take over. But it doesn't go quite as planned. And then he goes into the temple. And Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So Jesus is going in and he sees the temple, and he sees, it's not that they're selling things in the temple, in the exterior temple courts, uh, the, the exterior, the outside. Once he's through the wall of the temple, there's, an, there's a court of the Gentiles, if you will. Those who are not Jew, Jewish may come in and do business there. So it's not that they're selling things. It's that when you came with your sacrifice, it had to be perfect. Well, if you're traveling 100 miles with your perfect sheep or your perfect dove or your perfect pigeon to sacrifice, and it gets marred or scarred along the way or a, 
or a wolf bites and nips at an ear of your sheep and suddenly it's no longer perfect, you can't sacrifice that. So isn't it convenient that the temple provides you a perfect sheep or a perfect dove for the right price? Right? They had taken the law and began to use it for their own profit and their own greed, and they were cheating people in the temple courts, in the court of the Gentiles. But here's something else that the temple represents. The temple represents, the temple represents to them, the temple represented what they believe. It was the house of what they believe. It was their whole belief structure. They met at the temple and synagogues almost daily, like every day at 3 o'clock. Every day at 3 o'clock, around 3, you were going to the temple. That's what you did. Shut down work, go to the temple, 3 o'clock, it's time to go. Go. Right? And so it represented their belief system. It represented everything that they, that they thought they believed. But the temple represented something more. All of their debts, borrowed money, all of their finances were kept, those financial records were kept at the temple. The philosophies of the day were discussed and debated at the temple. The temple represented life. When we come across unmet expectations, we have to allow Jesus to rip out what we think we think. We have to allow Jesus to come into our lives and go, no, 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 no. Rip, rip that out. Because here's what Jesus did. It says that when he went into the temple, he turned over the money tables. The temple was supposed to be a signpost of what was coming. The signpost of what was coming had become their belief. Rather than a signpost or rather than a than a Sign on the road pointing the direction that one day somebody is coming that will be our sacrifice and we will become the temple. The temple had become their source of everything. And God said, no, no, no. This is not what the temple is supposed to be. The temple is not supposed to be the place where, oh, i got to go to the temple and pay my bills. So that was never my intent for the temple. And so when he goes in, and he begins to clear out those tables. Those tables had your debt records on them. Jesus is momentarily saying, your debt is gone. There's a new kingdom here. I came in on a donkey to declare peace, and my new kingdom is going to remove your spiritual debt. It is gone. It is a political and religious statement when Jesus throws over those money tables. We think he's just mad because they're selling stuff. He's not mad because they're selling stuff because that went on all the time. He's mad because they're using it for their own profit and their own gain, and they had looked to that for their religion and it had become twisted. And he said, guys, you have an unmet expectation. This was never my intent. The intent is that the temple would point to me and that one day all of my followers would become temples themselves and I would put the Holy Spirit in them. But you have twisted this whole thing. So there's a new kingdom here, and I'm about ready to remove all of your spiritual and soulish debt. So every thought that you ever had that was anti-God or was against the word of God, every thought, every word, every action, and every deed that you ever did that misaligns itself with the word of God, Jesus says, I'm here to give that and tear that thing up. I want a right standing, a right relationship with you. That should be our expectation. 
That's what should happen. Jesus in Matthew 21 is making all kinds of political statements. Here's another political statement that happened. Not only in the temporary removal of people's debt, tore up and turned over all of their financial records, but here's another political statement. The only person allowed to go in and clean the temple or, or make a decree to clean a temple, especially the Jewish temple, the only person allowed to do that is a king. Point in case. David planned the temple. Solomon built the temple. Hezekiah, Josiah, Judah, the hammer. Those three kings cleansed the temple. Herod the Great rebuilt the temple. Anytime the temple gets cleaned, rebuilt, built, planned, it's all done by a king. When Jesus cleans out the temple, we have to go back and study it. But to them, that would have been an instant sign. Oh my gosh. Not only is he clearing everybody's debts and removing all of the bank records, the only person that's allowed to do this is a king. Now, he's already ridden, on, ridden in on a donkey, which is a volatile political statement. Now he's doing the temple, making another political statement. Do you, re you realize what's happening here in just the first few days of this holy week, from Palm Sunday to Easter? Jesus is making all kinds of political statements, and his biggest political statement is there's a new kingdom coming. There's a new kingdom coming, and I want you on board. So whatever expectation you had that this new kingdom would come in and overthrow the the world's governments, and set up a new government, that's not how I'm initiating this. I'm starting with, I'm starting with peace. And I'm giving you the option to join my kingdom. Do you want to join or not? That's what he gives us. That's what he offers us. The problem is, is that we inherently muddy the waters, don't we? We start looking at scripture through 21st century Western culture eyes. Well, he went in there and tore it up because they were selling stuff. No, that's been going on for thousands of years. Well, he rode on a donkey because it says back there in Isaiah and in Zechariah and 1 Kings, he's supposed to do that. Yeah, but he's making a statement. Jesus was a master at making statements. He knew exactly what he was doing. The temple had become an idol itself. The temple had become an idol. And here's what you and I need to understand with unmet expectations, the sources of our unmet expectations. God's gifts can become an idol of our expectation. God's gifts can become an idol of our expectation. Well, God told me this. God, God just, you know, you just, you ever have, how many of you ever had something in your spirit? You're just like, you knew God told you. Like, it was God. You knew it. Let me see your hand. Yeah, right? You just knew. And then what happens? You start to idolize that instead of glorifying God. And God says, okay. You've idolized what I told you instead of glorifying me. And so guess what God will do? God will rip away the idol every time without fail. Why? Because he's the one that wants to be glorified. Not your gift that he gave you. 
We idolize the gifts that God gives us, and we think, God gave me this, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to do it, and that's good. But what happens? You start to fall in love with the gift rather than the giver. And God's like, okay, this is going to hurt. I'm going to take it away. You put your marriage above me. Not that God intentionally rips away marriage, right? But when you put God at the center of your marriage, you'll find that there's a better marriage, right? God gave me this talent to sing. Okay, well, I'll either let you go or I'll rip it out from underneath of you. Whatever it might be, because God is the one that wants to be glorified. But so many times we take the gifts of God and we begin to idolize them like they did with the temple. And so what was Jesus also doing when he cleared out the temple? It was just a brief prediction, as he already predicted, that 60 years from now, the temple will be destroyed. And here we are in 2021, and the temple still has not been rebuilt since it was torn down in 60 AD. Now, don't get me wrong. The nation of Israel has all of the pieces. They've rebuilt everything, and they're looking for a place to, to rebuild it. And they have all of the furniture and everything that's supposed to go in it. Israel's going to rebuild it in the, in the coming years. They've already got plans for that. They're already working on it. But Jesus said, guys, stop thinking that this is going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. And trust me. Follow me. It's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. It's going to change. We, the problem is, is we get locked into something, don't we? How easy is it to get locked into something? I, my wife, <clears throat> God love her and I love her too. But she's like, you're just caught in a rut. You just do the same thing every day. I'm a rut person. Anybody else a rut person? You drive the same way to work. You drive home the same way. You listen to the same radio, the same talk show, the same blah, 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 blah. Right? Sometimes you need to drive a different way to work. Sometimes you need to listen to something else. Sometimes you need to watch a different show. Sometimes you need to, sometimes you need to change it up. Because we get caught in our ruts. We get caught in... Just doing the same thing the same way all the time. And what we need is to say, God, rip me up on the inside. Rip out the things in me that displease you. Rip out the things in me that I've come to expect that really aren't you. Lord, rip out my unmet expectations. We need to say, God, rip me up. On the count of three, I just want everybody to say, God, rip me up. Right? On the count of three, God, rip me up. One. Two, three. Yes, God, rip me up. If it's not you, I don't want it. I have a desire for it, but your Bible says it's wrong, so I don't want it. Rip out in me so that my expectations of you can be correct. That what I want from you can be correct. That what I walk and talk with you that I hear and see clearly. Because here's what happens if we don't allow God to rip that out of us. Because the Bible says that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing that became, that temple became, our lives can become too. Here's what happens. Our wrong beliefs create wrong expectations, which then leads to depression, leads to anger, leads to anxiety, leads to worry. All because we had the wrong belief about something, which set up a false expectation, and then it begins to lead to all sorts of negative emotion and negative feelings and negative thoughts, etc. That's why it's so important that we have the right beliefs 
to build up the right expectations. And I can tell you this, that as long as your beliefs are built on this, your expectations will be in line with what God wants. This is where the beliefs start, which feeds and builds our expectations. So that when the world goes crazy, I'm not going, what's wrong with the world? I know what's wrong with the world. Right? What's wrong with them? How many parents have ever looked at your child and went, what is wrong with that kid? Right? I got news for you. You had them or you adopted them, and they come with this thing called free will. It's kind of tough to deal with sometimes, right? So our expectations need to be built upon God's word. And here's what I can tell you. God wants to rip up your wrong beliefs and instill right ones. He wants to. Let me give you just one example. Our last verse, Romans 8, 28. For those that are falling close, close to Christ and, and drawing near to him, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, we often want to just stop with God works all things out for good. That's not what this verse says. He works it out for those that love him, and have been called according to his purpose, that are walking towards and in step with what God wants. Let me give you an example, just in nature, okay? Eagles tend to soar, right? And they soar, and they ride the winds, and they don't really have to flap a lot. And so they soar, and what they do is they, as they're looking down, because their eyesight is incredible, eagles see colors that you and I can't see. They see different shades of green that you, you and I can never see those shades of green. They see shades of blue that you and I will never be able to see, different shades of blue. And as they're soaring, they're looking down, and they're looking for finite stuff. And an eagle will look down, he'll see a snake. Lunch, dinner, brunch, whatever he's thinking. He's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swoop down, and I'm going to scoop that thing up. So he swoops down, he's flying, and he swoops that snake up. Well, the snake doesn't really care for the talons. And so what's the snake do? As the eagle takes off and goes back up, right, he's flying back up, the snake reaches up and bites the eagle. Now, if it's, if it's a venomous snake, the eagle has a problem, right? If it's not venomous, the eagle's like, ah, oh, that kind of hurt. But if it's a venomous snake, the eagle had an expectation that expectation wasn't what the eagle thought. But keep in mind that if that's you and I, and we've swooped up something that God didn't intend for us, but yet Romans 8.28 says he's going to work it out for good. Because now the eagle or you, because of your unmet expectation, have venom flowing through your brains. It might be a negative thought. It might be anxiety. It might be depression. It might be any number of things. The eagle flies, and he realizes something's happening. Something's not right. And the eagle will fly up and go above the clouds. And the eagle will get as high as it can. It will find a rocky cliff. And it will drop from 1,000 feet or wherever. It will drop with pinpoint accuracy. Drop that snake on that rock. That rock that's been baking in the sun all day. And when that snake hits that rock, it either dies or its vertebrates crack, making it immobile. 
The eagle then will circle. And it will land on the rock and it will lay with its wings spread out. And it will bask in the sun, heating up the feathers. The heat from the rock will begin to permeate through the eagle. And the venom, the deadly venom, that snake injected into the eagle as the eagle lays there, the venom will begin to work its way towards the feathers. The heat pushes and drives the venom out through the feathers and through the skin of that eagle. Until that eagle has basked in the sun and the heat of the rock for so long, the venom has now worked its way out of the eagle. And if the eagle doesn't bask in the sun, it's dead. But if it will give itself up to the sun and bask in the rays of the sun and bask in the heat of the sun, the venom will be drawn out of that eagle. And when the eagle comes back around, it will look over to its dead snake and go, ah, lunch has been provided. Here's what I want to tell you. You might have had unmet expectations, and you might be soaring along, and all of a sudden the snake bites. I want to tell you that if you will bask in the rays of the sun and allow the heat from God's word, it will draw the venom out of your life. It will draw the venom out of your brain and your thoughts and everything else until you wake up and go, look what God has provided, Romans 8.28. God has provided all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We need to just bask in the sun and allow God to draw the venom out of our lives. Those negative thoughts, those bad thoughts, the thoughts that just eat away at us. Your unmet expectations just means you have to shift gears. Do you think the eagle wants to just lay on that rock? No, he's not designed to lay. When's the last time you ever saw an eagle just lay in your yard like, Hey, could you bring me, uh, bring me a lemonade? I've been working really hard out there. I've scooped up a trout out of the stream. Bring me a lemonade. No, eagles are made to soar. You're made to soar. But there are times that we have unmet expectations, and that eagle has to shift gears. Your unmet, your unmet expectation just means you have to shift. You just have to shift gears. Are you guys with me? Sometimes you just have to shift. So what I want you to do, get your hand up. We're all going to shift. Anybody else drive a, anybody drive a stick? All right. Shift gears with me. One, two, three. Shift. Some of you just thought you were racing, right? You have, look at your neighbor and go, I got to shift. Look at your other neighbor and say, you better shift. Listen, if you don't shift the venom, I'm telling you right now, if you don't shift, the venom's going to kill you. And you won't be laying on a rock basking in the light of the sun. You'll be dead in the valley. You have to shift. There has to be a shift in your marriage. There has to be a shift in your thought life. There has to be a shift in your beliefs. Because unmet expectations will always be there to bite you. But you've got to go back to the word. You've got to go back to scripture. You've got to go back to the rays of the sun and say, who am I, God? What am I? How am I thinking? Renew a right spirit within me because I've had the wrong spirit, right? I remake my thoughts. Remake my mind. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. This week, where do you need to shift? Where do you need to shift gears? Now, if you have an expectation and it's not getting met and you know that the belief is founded on the word of God, then you keep standing on the
promises. Right? Like the old song says, standing, standing, standing on the promises. Right? You stand. But if you go back and go, oh, I, I made that belief up myself. Shift. You've got to shift. So as Brent comes up and we close this out, I want to invite you just for a moment. Go ahead and stand up. And I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes. Where in your life do you need to shift? That you have unmet expectations? Sometimes we're like the people in Jerusalem. Jesus is here. Jesus is going to do this. Jesus is going to do that. And Jesus is like, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it differently. One thing I know about God is he's creative. He doesn't change, but his methods do. I would invite you as you're there, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, where do I need to shift? If I can get Steve and Bonnie to come down and um, if I can get Josh, if you'd come down. If you're here this morning and God has specifically spoken to you about shifting. Josh and Steve and Bonnie are up here. They want to agree with you in prayer about what shift do you need to make? How do you need to realign your life with the scripture? Jesus came to install a new kingdom, a new way to be human, a new way of doing things. Are you in line with that this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. Lord, we thank you that nearly 2,000 years ago, you chose to ride into, into Jerusalem on a donkey, something that only a king could do. And Lord, you chose to ride in with peace, to declare a new kingdom and a new way of doing things. And then you went into the temple, and you cleared it and said, no, 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 no. Change what you think the temple is, and God, you, you gutted it. You, you cleaned out the things that didn't belong, and Lord, you were declaring a new kingdom even in that action. And Lord, I, I pray that this week, as we leave this place, that we would walk out understanding that you came to offer us new life and a new kingdom and a new way to do things so that our expectations might line up with the belief that you brought in Scripture. Yes, Jesus. And that this week we might shift so that next week we can have freedom from that which holds us back. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You guys have an amazing, amazing week. We'll see you next week on Easter.